Hello, my name is Brandon Reich, and you are listening to The Graphic Sound. Sound. Episode 8 with Ryan Clark. Most of the people listening to this podcast probably know about Ryan Clark as half of the design studio Invisible Creature. Him and his brother Don have been churning out fantastic work that's always been super inspirational to me and I think extremely inspirational to my whole class of designers, my whole age group and phase of designers. In addition to being half of Invisible Creature, Ryan wears a ton of hats. So I probably first knew about Ryan as the singer of the hardcore band Training for Utopia. Before that, he had done the hardcore band Focal Point. After Training for Utopia, he did the band Demon Hunter while him and his brother started Asterix Studio and while he was also head of the art department at Tooth & Nail Records. And then from there, Ryan has done a couple side projects, including Lo and Behold and Knives. And in addition to that, he's now the art director at Belief Agency. So I flew to Seattle back in November, and I interviewed Jesse Bryan of Belief Agency, where Ryan works now. And I sat down and talked to Ryan at his house. So this is a nice, chill conversation between Ryan and I. And we kind of just talk about our careers. We talk about how he manages all of these things in addition to being a brand new father. And we just kind of hear his story about how he came up and what it's been like working in an art department for a record label as well as what it's like now working for a branding agency and how his work has evolved. So this was the day before the Jesse Bryan interview, so please forgive me if there's a few of the same references that I talk about. But this was back in November, um, a nice, cool, dark, rainy night in Seattle where Ryan and I had a good chat where, you know, he talked about how he sees every day as an opportunity to make something really cool and he doesn't want to miss out on that. He's still, as much as he's done in his career, he's still got a ton more that he wants to do and that keeps pushing him. And I think that's very evident from all the projects that he's been involved in. And the through line through all of these projects that they're all very, very high quality and they're all really well done from the design stuff to the music stuff. So I'm talking Asterix Studio, Art Director at Tooth & Nail, Invisible Creature, and Art Director belief. All the things that he's done in addition to all of the music things, Focal Point, Training for Utopia, Demon Hunter, Knives, Lo and Behold, they all have the same level of high quality. And that's what I've come to really respect in Ryan. I've come to really respect the fact that no matter what he works on, it's an opportunity for him to do something really, really cool. And there's a moment in this conversation where I think everything about my career sort of pivots a little bit. And when I realize that everything is an opportunity to do something really cool in that in a lot of my own projects, I want my focus to be more about me creating something that I think is awesome. One thing to note, we reference Brandon in this episode several times. We're not referring to me, we're referring to Brandon Ebel, who is the president and creator of Tooth & Nail Records in Seattle. So that's the place that Ryan was the art director and my band was signed, Ryan's bands were signed to Tooth & Nail Records. So Brandon Ebel is a big part of both of our lives. So just a heads up, when you hear the reference for Brandon, we're most likely talking about Brandon Ebel from Tooth & Nail Records. So this conversation's a good one. It's with a designer that I really, really look up to. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Ryan Clark. So we're here. Yeah. (laughs) 
Welcome. So first of all, thanks for being on a podcast that doesn't exist yet. Awesome. Yeah, so, that feels good. You've been kind enough to let me come over to your house. I'm in your workroom. You got skateboards on the walls. You got a bunch of your work on the walls. You got a bulletin board with... It's a real-life mood board. So I started doing all black and white images, and then I kind of branched out a little bit, but I wanted it mostly to be black and white. I kind of had this vision for it. It's like a pegboard. It's rubber instead of... Yeah. Because I was looking for a black, like an actual black cork board, and I don't think that exists. So. I once um, tried to use a cork board for merchandise, mm-hmm. and but I used these like furniture <clears throat> tacks, and then our merch guy came up to me and said... Hey, Brandon, I really want to use the merch board that you told me, but um, I'm trying to push in these tacks and blood is shooting out of my thumbnails. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I, we just went to like one of the gates later on. That's funny. Yeah, this room is kind of a work in progress, actually. You're seeing it in a very new state. We uh, tore the carpet up. My dad and I kind of got all the glue up and stuff. The concrete was pretty sweet underneath it. So so how much time do you spend in this room? I usually spend, these days I spend like a, a day a week and then some nights in here. So at this point, you're, you work a little bit from here. You're in, you're working a belief agency. Mm-hmm. Um, how much a percentage of your work is still considered invisible creature right now, since I've, I'm kind of in the, I'm in the initial stages at belief. So I'm still kind of getting my feet wet there and there's definitely more work there. I mean, there's enough work there to keep me busy at all times yeah. and that's how it's been so far. I've been able to squeeze in a couple of projects since I started. I started in July and I've been able to squeeze in like two or three projects that carried over from yeah. old work or a couple that that came up during, you know, while I was working, but it's been harder to find the time than I thought it was, but then again, I think it's a particularly busy time I believe right now. So do you think belief is like different type of work than you've been doing Very. for like the past what, 12, 15, 20 years? I mean, how long did you, how long would you say you've been a graphic designer? Well, I started in 2001. Okay. So 14, almost 15 years. And that was at Tooth and Nail. I was working at used clothing store Mm -hmm. and I'd been signed to bands on Tooth and Nail before that. So that's where the relationship came from. But Brandon kind of offered me like an internship spot at the label doing kind of production design work. Mm-hmm. And I knew nothing about even working on a computer. Yeah. So I'd always been like a, you know, a sketchbook spray paint kind of guy. So it, there was a huge learning curve at the beginning. I mean, uh, luckily the other guy in there knew everything that I needed to know. So I, throughout the day I would ask like, what, what's a megabyte? How much is that? And how much is a kilobyte? And how much can I email? And how do I like every single tiny little granular question that you could ask about how to (laughs) like function in modern life? The most embarrassing possible tech questions that you can And I would just ask him that all day long. And I only interned before I had to work every day. So I interned from like 7am to Mm 9am for like a month, I think, and then got hired on. So someone basically left tooth and nail for the most part was always a two person operation in the art department. And, um, one guy left and Greg Patterson, who was the guy who remained there was a friend suggested that I take the job or that I at least intern for it for a so while. Sort of trial by fire. Take the Absolutely. job. You don't exactly know how to do this stuff, but, but I was determined to figure it out. Yeah. And that's what I did over the course of a month. And, um, I guess I was good enough at that point to kind of scrape by. And so they offered me the job and then, you know, like 12 years spent there. Yeah. It's funny how much of a spinning plate, it seems like the tooth and nail art mm-hmm. department always was. I mean, tooth and nail was, it had its heyday. Yeah. And I think that 
when I see your guys's rise to greatness, it's in conjunction with Tooth and Nails right. rise to greatness. And I almost feel like you guys both rose at the same time and then you were able to keep your career going. Um, okay. So I listened to your podcast, the pep talk podcast, when yeah. you were talking a little bit about this stuff and I got the story totally no, wrong. No, you didn't. You didn't really get it wrong. I would probably just add to it and maybe clarify a little bit about our hand in not only the, the guys that came out of the tooth and nail art department or, or the asterisk days, by the way, creative pep talk episode 58, climbing the mountain is what the what episode that Ryan's refer referring to. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just, I'll make this as short as possible. It's very kind way of, of looking at that, those times for you to say, like we were kind of essentially, um, the motor huge, pushing tooth and nail. The mo- yeah, absolutely. That's a very kind way to put it. The industry in general was hitting right then. Yeah. Like in, in terms of that kind of music, Under Oath, Norma Jean, all those all those bands that were May and all those bands that were doing really great. That was part of what was happening at that time. Granted, we were allowed to do really creative artwork and we were doing it to the best of our ability. I'm not trying to undercut that concept that that we were somehow a part of that. But at the same time, I will say before we were there, Brandon has always had an eye for well-designed, well-photographed. Clear vision. He's had a clear vision and it's not just a clear vision. It's a clear vision for quality. He's hired photographers that were probably too expensive for him to hire. He's hired designers. I mean, if you look at old like Chatterbox records, uh, Morella's Forest records, there's a, a handful of records that they would do in house. And then there was a handful that they would hire out for. And they had really amazing designers work on some of these, like the guys who were, who were designing for four AD in um, the late nineties did a few tooth and nail packages. Cause Brandon knew that there was like this level of quality in artwork that he wanted to adhere to. So it's as much his desire to put out quality visuals for bands and we might have taken it we might have helped him take it to the next level but he knew the people to a point absolutely and it's, and it was it's a steve jobs johnny i sure <laughs> sure situation that staircase had already started before we got there yeah and we maybe helped him add a, a few stairs to it but um that was the only thing i really wanted to say about it is that before there was us there maybe wasn't such a, a, a desire to like every record that comes out of here has to look great. Yeah. Because that's more of the art department that's going to feel that way. But there was a lot of records, if you look at the back catalog, that were better than most of the stuff on Victory or most yeah. of the stuff from their competitors because that was already built in. Brandon had this. He ha- he has an eye. He's yeah. always had an eye, which is also the reason why he let us do what we did is yeah. because he wasn't one of those guys sitting back without the discretion to scrutinize that was still doing it, which happens all the time. You know, someone will be like, well, make the logo bigger just arbitrarily. He wasn't that guy. He was the guy who's like, you know, he didn't say it, but it's like you could tell he had an eye enough to be like, oh, yeah, I get that. I get the small type. Like, sure, it's maybe a little smaller than I would go for, but fine. Mm-hmm. You know, he understood those kind of decisions and like leaving type off of covers altogether, which we did all the time. That was more having to talk the management or the band into it. But anytime we wanted to take the type off a cover and put a sticker or whatever, Brandon was always game because he understood that in the first place. So that's, that's all I wanted to say. No, I totally understand. I mean, you know, being a band signed to tooth nail, totally understand the brilliance of Brandon evil. And I think what I look at it as from a design perspective is that it all hit at this perfect time where if you guys would have been creating what 
I, well, it's like you guys couldn't have created what you did at any other time because Photoshop and Illustrator weren't what they were. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like the first chance someone got to be really inspired by using Photoshop and Illustrator, your guys' work was hot and awesome. And the people who listened to the, to the bands, I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. The people who listened to the bands were getting also obsessed with all the art or surrounded mm-hmm. by the band. And at the time we all got these pirated versions of Photoshop and Illustrator mm-hmm. and we're trying to do this sort of thing. And it's like, it all just hit at this really great time. So tooth and nail, it was just, I mean, we know what we're talking like the early 2000s, yeah. that, 2003, that four, five, six, right. seven. Yeah. So that whole time, but like, it was also for me and my, my age group and the people that pay attention to stuff, people that probably will listen to this podcast. It was that time where we just had this buffet of amazing, amazing food. And it was just like, we were just, it was such an enriched time of like, like graphic design has now become approachable, doable, attainable, that good design. And, and who are we going to look to while all this design, who are we going to look to as inspiration? And it was you guys, you guys were the ones sitting there at the time. What was it? It was a combination of, like I said, he ha- he had the discretion to leave his hands off of us to a certain point. Yeah. And and when you work in-house, the one good, great part about working in-house, especially for a record label, is you have the A&R guys basically on your side. So the A&R guys are saying to bands that are being difficult, like, this is how it's going to be, or look, this is why it's great. You have people fighting for you on your behalf. Yeah. Which is totally dif- different than working for, you know, just a design firm or working by yourself. You know, you have a team of people that are like, oh, we all love this. You know, you should totally go with this. So there was that. And there was such a mass of stuff put out. We were putting out multiple records a month. So I was working on, you know, every month I would work on probably five or six records. So I was churning through these things. But I think it was so early in our design career. It was like, let's build an amazing portfolio. Let's use this opportunity to build an amazing portfolio as fast as we can. So as much as we could help it, we were trying to make something great for every record. Even if we knew the record itself was terrible, we were like, okay, this is, we're going to polish this turd mm-hmm. because it's more about our portfolio. I mean, I, this, is my, this is my job, whether or not I want to do this record, I'm doing this record. So why not make a great looking record, even if the record's bad? Yeah. Because most people are just going to see it in my portfolio. As far as I'm concerned, I want a great portfolio piece. People aren't going to see it in my portfolio and then go listen to it. Yeah. Like in most cases, they're just going to hire me for something, you know, in, in terms of my design career. So that was my thinking. It was like, even if this record's bad, if I can do something, if I can elevate it on a design level, yeah, I'm absolutely going to do that. And then we were doing so much stuff. It's like our portfolio was just stacking and stacking and stacking and stacking. And then all of a sudden we have 50 records we can put on the website because we were given that opportunity. We had constant work coming in. We had very little scrutiny. We had people on our side and it was a time in the industry when you could be really courageous with your packaging. So we were doing elaborate packaging. We were doing paper mixtures. We were doing fifth colors on every package. Practically we were doing stickers on jewel cases. We were doing O cards, embossing, foil stamping, die cuts, you name it. It was like, if we could come up with it, the label was thriving. So we could pretty much get permission to do whatever we wanted. It was a combination of all those yeah. different factors. Well, I think that's the the best possible situation when you're dealing with a designer, uh, agency or a record label is that we all 
care to elevate your thing. We now care more about your thing more than you do. Mm -hmm. So in polishing a turd, it's like, no, no, no. We care more about your brand than you do. So like, give us the reins for a minute and watch what we're going to do to your brand. And that's, you know, for my band, that's what it felt like. Cause like I said, man, we just, we were just these little kids that started a band in Dayton, Ohio and nothing happens in Dayton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And we were able to go through this machine and the machine made us better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I said, when we went through the machine of you guys elevating our artwork, Aaron elevating our production, Brandon and John elevating the whole market, everything, you know, every facet of what the record label did, we now have to step up our game. We right. have to try harder. We have to care more. And it's sort of like, you know, that when you put on, when somebody gives you a new, not that I wear suits, but we can imagine when someone puts on a new suit and like you're somebody different now. Yeah. Do you understand yeah, that? Yeah. You're somebody different now. Like stand, walk straight. You need to come to play. Yeah. Right. Right. <clears throat> I totally understand that. I um, totally respect Brandon's brilliance. And it was just a man. I'm so, so lucky that I got to be there for, um, you were there for the good years. For the, yeah. Our records came out in 02, 04 and 06. And yeah. that 04 year with new medicines, oh, I got to experience the fullness of tooth and nail record. Yeah. designer myself but of course i want you guys to do the layouts for those which is um, awesome i mean yeah a lot i of mean that wouldn't. was that was the fun thing to let go and be like to have someone else yeah you know that was the only thing i didn't do right it was the layout right. but if i wasn't going to do them it yeah. was going to be you guys so yeah. you know and so that was so much fun for me and it was so much fun to you know there's not very many people you can like hand the ring you know being a control freak like right. myself hand the reins to somebody and know that it's just going to be amazing right and i think we you know, came up with three pretty amazing totally. layouts. Yeah. All three of them were pretty great. And that's a, that's a very rare thing. And you know, it's, it's some of the things that I reference when people talk about like, what are your good experiences of, of designing? It's the, it's those times when you're like fully trusted by someone. It's yeah. like when people ask me to draw a tattoo design, I'm like, I don't want you to take my design into a tattoo artist yeah. because they're going to want to do something that they can have a little bit of ownership of. Right. And it's a bummer g- for the tattoo about. artist. Right. Yeah. And I'm not a tattoo artist. I don't know about which way everything needs to curve and move with the body part or whatever it's yeah i'm just going to be drawing it like a like just an illustrator or designer so in the same way with a designer it's awesome to be given that kind of freedom from a fellow designer yeah like you were your concepts were great to start out with and so it was just about like okay i'm going to execute this really great idea and it's pretty rare that you're given a great idea in the first place and then it's even rarer to be kind of left alone to execute yeah. it in a, in a I way. think we had one font fight and other than a one font fight I don't even remember it yeah it was just I, th- I remember an email saying listen you've got this now you gotta give me this 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 and this and that was for the four wall blackmail right oh really and then after was that was I using that, curls it was no it was I don't know what it was actually the fonts use it was I think I was fighting you on using that universal tertiary font. I don't know if you remember that oh. font, but that was the main one. And then he's, you're like, dude, just, just give it to me. And I was really? like, make, make the black box and I'm not a little bit smaller. And then, and then after that, man, smooth sailing. Like, That's I don't funny. think it's so new minimal. Medicines didn't have a minute of like, everything was great. Right. It was just, I think we, I remember getting back the, I, I'm assuming you did it. Like I did this little circle with the uh-huh. line through it with my paintbrush. Yeah. And uh, what do you think? I'm like, 
I don't know what that is, but let's do that. Yeah, that's and awesome. I don't know if it was going to be a pill or, or what it was. I never looked at it as a pill. I've looked at I it. I think that was the whatever it was. That was the catalyst for the idea. I think that's what I was kind of aiming for. But yeah. it definitely it was such a vague depiction of that. It's hard to say that's what it is. It set everything off. And you know what's funny is that there's a simplicity. Well, I, I want to say simplicity, but there's also just the breakdown of red and white mm-hmm. for that record. Yeah. And that sort of like I don't know. It, it made the recording less muddy because mm-hmm. the aesthetic that represents it was so like streamlined yeah. and straightforward. It's like the new Death Cab record, Kintsugi. That sort of sets the tone. It's sure, telling yeah. you this is how minimal this record right. is. You can't help is, but right. picture that when you're listening to it. Yeah. And I think that old hardcore records, the more grainy and in-depth the illustration on it, mm-hmm. it, it makes you feel like the record's a little grainy. I remember the, right. um, the Liberate Zeo right. record. It was a big departure from where blood and fire bring rest. So it's like, this was like, no, we're cleaning this up and right. we're, it's going to be more straightforward and more sharp right. and like more, more like a Manson approach as opposed totally. to like any old hardcore right. type yeah. approach. And it's funny how we're able to take a visual and set the tone. And I'm, you know, we said Cole S, but I'm looking at that Cole S, yeah. whatever you, we would call that sort of geometric thing. Yeah. It's almost like, um, sacred geometry looking. Yeah. Yeah, totally. The belief, the old belief thing. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah, yeah, it just sets the, t- it, it adds tension. It sets this tone. But anyway, all that to say, it was so much fun for me to be like, I've done all the graphics for this band and I can now hand it over to someone who is going to improve upon right. that. But I've always been fascinated myself about watching, you know, you said Brad, da- everybody you're going to mention, mm-hmm. Brad Davis, Chris McCat. Well, Chris is a different, but Josh, Brad Davis, Greg Lutzi, um, there's a whole bunch of people and Jordan Butcher. Jordan Butcher. And it's funny when you, when you start trying to list them, how all yeah. the names disappear. It's like they go through this machine and come out so much better. One thing that being in house at a label like that teaches you is how to be insanely fast. Yeah, um, and how to just jump from one to, one thing to the next. So that's one of the, like one of my, you know, if I'm going to be proud about anything in terms of, of design, it's, I can design really fast if I need to, because it's like, I mean, it's not like working in a newspaper, but it's, it's also not like a lot of jobs that I've heard about where you have all this time to work on stuff. Totally. And and I think that's such a, um, I get into, I feel like I get myself into trouble when someone finds out how fast I am Mm -hmm. because there's this, well, I just, I do not subscribe to the idea that I'm trying to convince the client that I spent more time on it than I did. I'm just trying to show the client that it's good. It can be dangerous. That, the time that it took for it to be good is uh-huh. irrelevant. And but you, convincing someone that it's irrelevant is pretty hard. Right, exactly. Especially when it comes to branding. Yeah. Because once you break outside, especially breaking outside of the music industry. Yeah. This is a this is a struggle, I think, for probably a lot of people. It is still for me. And I think a lot of companies deal with it too. But branding is so much I mean, obviously when you dive into like a, a brand standards guide or something like that, there's a lot of production work that comes along with really fleshing out a brand. Yeah. But when you're talking about just the logo itself, you might have the idea in the first five minutes, the first five minutes yeah. <laughs> and it might take you a half hour to do it. Yep. But branding is such a, an integral part of a company. It can, it can mean everything. I mean, companies like Target and Apple and things like that are just, their foundation is their branding. You know, yeah. it's, it's why people trust them day in and day out is because they, they know when they see that logo, they, it's, it's a quality product. So with that mindset, I mean, branding can be a very expensive cost to endure. So yeah. when you're charging like what seems like a pretty exuberant amount of money and you're churning something out in like a couple hours, yeah, 
and then you're doing a CD package for an eighth of whatever you got for the branding and it takes you like six weeks or whatever if it's some crazy photo shoot you know like illustrated thing or whatever six weeks is pretty it's a lot but on average you know let's say like two weeks for a CD package it's like that ratio just doesn't make sense and trying to convince a client like yeah but I'm not a plumber like I don't you don't pay me hourly yeah like and it's a completely different thing because there's no the creative process can't be you can't take that out of the equation because the creative without the creative something that's executed really well that starts out with a poor concept is going to be poor and then a concept that's great that's executed poorly is going to be poor they both have to exist together the concept and the execution right like so the logo really is about concept that the what you're paying for is the brain you know yeah you're, you're paying me a little bit for my hands but mostly for my brain when it comes to branding totally so that's a that's a hard thing for a lot of people to swallow well what i've realized in the branding projects that i've worked on so i'm working with an agency in my town columbus ohio and it's been fun because now I'm finally going to be able to work for this agency and be able to go into the restaurant that I branded, mm-hmm. go into the coffee shop, whatever. Right. So I get to see it firsthand. I get to experience it firsthand. But kind of, but what I want to explain to them is that it's even the agency I'm working with. What I want them to understand is, listen, I'm just thinking about this thing for the next couple of weeks. Right. Like yeah. I don't even like getting into illustrator or even getting on my sketchbook. It's not even what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to figure out who these people are. I'm trying to understand where they want to go, how they want to be perceived. I want to, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do all that, but it's almost like, listen, if you let me think about this for the next like two weeks, I'll tell you exactly what it needs to be right. two weeks from now. And you know, lately I've been calling that like Don Drapering things right, right. where it's just sort of like Don takes all that time to think. And then at the end, when, it, when he meets with the client, he dazzles them and all this stuff, but he, but he simply gives them back the solution to their problem. Right. And I think that that is really just an evolution as a designer. When you start, I mean, when you're 20 something years old, like it is about production. It is about like, get the stuff out the door and I'm trying to balance between this whole thing of the merch industry is production just straight up Mm -hmm. and also the life of a lot of these things that I make are relatively short and the budgets are very low right so you're churning so I have to churn it out and there's always that thing in the back of my mind and be like Brandon the budget is too low for you to spend another hour on this thing yeah but we're always thinking about it like yeah I get that but if this is really great, I can put it in the portfolio yeah. and then someone's going to come calling because the work is great and give me a bigger budget for something else. Do you think that mentality has been the dividing factor for you guys? Absolutely. For me, it has. Yeah. Because there have been jobs that have been what I would consider like very being paid very handsomely or at least what you would read like in the AIGA, like handbook yeah, of what handbook. you're supposed to be paid, yeah. which we called the book of lies for a long time yeah. because <laughs> it's just like it's so heavily on the designer side mm-hmm. that it's very unrealistic in yeah. a lot of cases. But there have been great jobs, but there have also been jobs that have been close to nothing, non-existent budget, but it's been a great opportunity. And most of the time, we will only take those jobs if it seems like we're going to get to own a lot of the creative elements of it, if we're going to kind of be left alone a little bit. Because then we can do something that we really want to do and we want to do more of. And so we look at it just, I mean, I'm still doing it to this day. It's like definitely something that hasn't gone away. I mean, I'm doing a logo right now for trade for some stuff. Yeah. And it's because 
I want to be doing more branding. Yeah. And so when, when I make a decision like that, like I want to be doing more branding, less packaging, things like that. Um, I take on jobs like that where I'll just say, sure, I'll do it for that. I, I mean, that's not my that's rate. That's not the point. That's the not my rate yeah. or whatever, but like, yeah, I'll make an exception and, and I make exceptions probably too often. Yeah. I hope no clients are listening to this, but <laughs> or future clients, but um, I do that all the time because I'm always thinking, well, if I really kill this one though, then who knows who could call, you yeah. know, and have a decent budget to do it. And if it's not draining me to do it, if it's every once in a while you end up doing that, you do a job pro bono or for cheap and it ends up being a nightmare. Yeah. But what I found is usually that's kind of, that's pretty rare because I, I feel like most people that have the discretion to know what they're asking for aren't going to really nitpick you on something that they're getting for free. I think the exception for that is like wedding invitations and things like that, yeah. which is, I think everyone shouldn't run from that world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like entirely too important to people. And so yeah. I think it's, it's, yeah. It so be- how, how does that go? How do you know, let's say that you got this project, you're going to take it on and you realize the client is less than ideal and that it's going to be more frustrating. Have you been in situations where you've already taken a couple steps in and then you've decided, all right, we got to back out of this thing now because that I'm saying that from, I accept a thing mm-hmm. and then, and, but I turned down a lot. Like most of the stuff that comes through my website, that's, random mm-hmm. it's pretty much going to get turned down I, that's not a very good uh <laughs> advertisement for my <laughs> business but um so i have my dedicated clients that i know right. how they we all know how we work there's i don't have to introduce myself at every right. project they know the process right yeah. I, this is project number 300 for mm-hmm. this one person that i'm working with you know so if that's the case then you have somebody else come in and now it's a new opportunity it's a cool thing that you can do but then you realize that they it's don't a client from hell it. Yeah. right away so I've definitely entered into that plenty of times. And I feel like that's one of my big problems now is that I am optimistic at the first email and the first contact. Right. And then I get in there and I realize this isn't what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. And it is going to drain me. Right. So much of it drains me. Um, It definitely happens. I think at least me personally, I have a remarkable um, track record of not having to drop jobs. Yeah. There have been a few for sure. There have been more that have kind of almost been like a mutual, like this isn't really working yeah. and that's fine. You know, it's like in those cases, usually it would be, we're, you know, hired through an art director at a label and they're just as aware as we are that like this band is being really difficult. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of say, do we agree that this is just not working? And they go, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And we keep the deposit or whatever. Yeah. That's happened a number of times. Unfortunately, it's happened with bands that I really like a lot. Yeah. And it's kind of like soured me on them a little bit, which is kind of bound to happen in the music industry is, you know, once you start working with bands that you actually love, you realize that not all of them are easy to work with. Yeah. So I won't really name any names, but some of the the more favorite, like, oh, I can't believe we're getting to do this record. No one even knows about because we didn't end up doing the record. Mm-hmm. You know, I could show covers that I did or whatever, but um, which is something I should actually do. I should, I should post more of the rejected stuff. Um, yeah. Because I think that's fun. But yeah, it very rarely happens. And on the other side of that, I think I'm probably a little too lenient with rounds of revisions and things like that, especially for as long as I've been doing it. Yeah. It's something I've had to learn over the years to put my foot down, when to put my foot down and when to, I've tried to pull out of projects before and, and I've been sweet talked back into yeah, it. Yeah, somehow. You know? you just, yeah. 
you uh, get in discussing you're like wait i didn't do what mm-hmm. i said you know worked up the courage to do right it didn't like, actually oh, i'm dropping the job i'm gonna call this guy drop the job <laughs> yeah. you walk outside you pace around on the cell phone yeah and then he's he's just like man let's just give it one more shot man and i'm sorry these guys are being like this i love you man i yeah. love you okay man yeah and that's happened a number of times too and it's it's also like i mean it gets even worse I, you know i'll work with clients that are just awful like really difficult to, to deal with and i tell myself never work with that person again mm-hmm. and i've worked with them like five times in a row yeah you know, you know i can never i don't know everyone that that's worked for themselves you know i worked between tooth and nail and, and belief i worked for myself for essentially two years like through invisible creature but it kind of work trickled in either through me or through i see well do you think any of those clients that you that push you do you are there any of them that made you better or do you think that the motivator inside of you to create something amazing mm-hmm is the strongest motivator of all versus you'll take your internal motivation mm-hmm. over some outside source any day. I mean, it depends on how, on, on the discretion and the, and the, the knowledge and the intelligence of the person I'm dealing with. Yeah. There have been, and I could probably count them on one hand. There have been some projects where I've basically been told to go back to the drawing board. I got really pissed because I spent a lot of time on it. They approved the concept, yada, yada, yada. And then I went back to the drawing board and I was happier with what I did the second time. Yeah. There have been, but literally it's probably been less than five times. Yeah. There have been more times where I was told to go back to the drawing board and I feel like we came up with a lesser, you know, we achieved something less than what I had given them. And your passion fizzled out somewhere in the middle there. Yeah. And something, I think I'd mentioned this on, actually, I don't think this ever made the air when I did Matt's podcast, but Allison Chains, for example, I did what you see on the devil foot dinosaurs here. That's the first thing I showed them. Mm Mm-hmm. The two Actually, cross triceratops yeah. head skulls. Yeah. And when it's under the red jewel case, it's one. It yep. makes a devil head when you pull it out. I was messing around with the triceratops head. The triceratops was something that they had in mind, just the idea of it because of the horns. So I started messing with triceratops heads and I overlaid these two and it kind of made this devil head in the middle. And I was like, well, I wonder if I could get rid of one of those under a red jewel case. You know, we've done, we did stuff like that before. And so it was just this thing. It was like, like we were talking about when you've got it and it takes 30 minutes, you've still got it. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like that thing. I knew, I knew it was there. I'd shown them some sketches before that and they didn't approve any of them. So then I just started jumping into working because mm-hmm. sometimes it's just like, I'm just, let me mess around with some stuff. That was the first thing I gave them when I started messing around with like actual covers. And then they essentially approved it and a month or so goes by. They get cold feet for whatever reason. They think it looks too much like this other band's cover and they start scrutinizing it, which is always the case when you deliver way early. And you have all this time right. ahead of like the actual delivery date. The client will scrutinize the hell out of it until they find all this stuff that wasn't a problem initially. Now all of a sudden it's a problem. And then if there's time to kill, they'll have you work on more stuff. So mm-hmm. over the course of, I mean, it was basically approved for like a month. And then all of a sudden I get an email and uh, they want to see other covers for that reason. But they liked the red jewel case thing. So all these covers that I was working on had to be like these reveal kind of things. Yeah. So I did 11 fleshed out covers like in, in with chunks. the same concept same that concept. you came up with. Original. So it's like a double concept. It has to look cool, but also has to do something. Yeah. So, and that wasn't all at once. I did like four, three more, two more, three more. So they yeah. kept asking for more. Enough and to finally, drive you completely not to see the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, but it was just getting worse. What else can I overlap? Right. Because I had it. I had it at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, thankfully, it was a very difficult process, super difficult process, but it was also like a top three band for me. 
So I wasn't going to drop it no matter what. Yeah. And so they kind of drug me through the mud. They did drag me through the mud and I didn't drop it. And luckily I didn't because they ended up back on the idea that I wanted and it ended up being, you know, what I, what I wanted to do in the first place. So it ended up really good, but the process to get there was like really arduous. I want it all The blood, the flesh, the soul Give me the time The guns, the peace, control I want to see think of how different your career would be if you decided you were like a salesman for your concept you would make the concept and then the rest of the project would be convincing that this concept works and mm-hmm. i feel like that's the frustrating thing is that i could choose that route but that's just a constant fight or you can right. just keep showing them visuals mm-hmm. but it's it's this frustrating thing of listen i can explain to you why this works the best but you're not going to understand any of it until it hits the wild. Like if I give you a logo, it's not your logo. It doesn't identify you yet until it's out in the wild. And then it's synonymous with, you know, the white, the Nike swoosh is just, is just a mark. That's all it is. Absolutely. Until it connects to something Totally. totally different. So for example, not to, not to like talk about one of my own projects, but in the same way, I presented a logo that was super basic and super simple. Basically, the Span 21 Pilots, they made this, one of them made this logo. I think their video guy made a logo a long time ago before I was, had anything to do with the band. And it was a bar and a, and a bar in the middle and then one bar slanted. So it basically looks like an H with one side yeah. slanted. So anyways, with Twitter, Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff, people would, in their signature, write, you know, on their keyboard, a bar, a hyphen, and then a slant. Mm-hmm. So then I just kept seeing that that's what this whole thing was evolving into. So then when it was time to brand the new record, Blurry Face, I was like, guys, we just need to give this logo back to your fans. Right. So it was, it was, I had this computer printout. We were actually having lunch and I was like, this logo is really boring, but it's going to work really good. And mm-hmm. it's just the bar. I mean, it's Helvetica bar hyphen slash. Yeah, yeah. And then I put a circle around it because it's a logo. And that yeah. Works. I mean, that's the, that's the same with a lot of things. Yeah. Granted, there are things that make it out into the wild and a company succeeds despite them. Yeah. Like the GoDaddy logo is the perfect example of yeah. that. And I don't know how they're doing these days, but that's the worst logo for like a fortune 500 company still there (laughs) and it's still there. And I think that either the CEO or his kid or something did it or whatever, but that's kind of an exception to the rule, but that happens all the time is, you know, like you said, the Nike swoosh, if that wasn't Nike, if it was some local, like, you know, tech company and it had that Nike swoosh under it and you'd never seen it before. I mean, it's just another like shape, Yep. you know, I mean, it's, it's become a honed shape and it looks, it's like a good shape or whatever, but yeah, it's it's it is what it is because Nike. A lot of bands would reference or whatever the Nevermind cover. Yeah, it's a great cover. Like the concept is is cool. It's 
done well. But I mean, how many of those really great like '90s bands that yeah. that ended up on the bargain bin had amazing covers? It's Ton- a great cover because the band is now legendary, right? And, yeah, and that's the bottom line of all of it. So it's like the job with branding is. Let's create the elements. And the further you get into branding, you know, it's not even about the elements, but let's create the elements and then surround them in this environment to where the elements feel comfortable. It's almost the same thing as like, if you're a radio, if you're clear channel or iHeartRadio, whoever you take the song and like, let's just jam this song into their ears all summer long. And then they're gonna be like, that's my favorite song. It's not your favorite song. You just recognize the song. You think it's your favorite song because you know, all the, know all the words. Everybody in the country knows every word. We can't get Taylor Swift out of our head or whatever it is. So it's this thing of, you have to admit the fact with branding is if you give it to them in a consumable way, they'll take ownership of that brand. You know what I mean? So like, you know, Seattle Seahawks, it's not difficult for someone to take on the brand of Seattle. So, you know, right. I live in, I live in Columbus, Ohio, Ohio state Buckeyes. You can get it at the gas station. You get mm-hmm. it. You can get a whole new wardrobe at the gas station yeah. for Ohio state Buckeyes in my town. It becomes this brand that is easily accessible and it, people are able to identify themselves with that. So it's this whole other thing of like, you can work and work and work and work on the concepts, but it's so hard for the client to understand that this is going to make sense this triceratops head is going to make sense once it gets out into the wild, because people are going to take your music and they're going to take that image. They're going to put them together and it's all going to be harmonious and it's all going to make sense. It can be a great logo and it can be a bad logo. I mean, there have been companies and and entities and bands and things that have survived on bad logos, you know, or there've been ones that have had great logos. Most, most companies or entities, once they reach a certain level, they, they hire someone you know, that knows what they're doing yeah. to help them out. And so that's why you end up with like the target logo and the Apple logo and, and logos that are very simple and smart. You know, design, the, the recognizability is instant when you see it designed by somebody with conviction. Right. So the, the designer with conviction won't create the GoDaddy logo. Right. Um, but Michael Beirut will have c- conviction when he, and Pentagram will have conviction when they create the mark for whatever, because it's not all about them. It's also about, you know, it's, I mean, it's going back to what you just said and that I'm probably going to leave this thinking about that where this new phase of my career is really about, okay, Brandon, what do you actually want to show people now? Because I've gone so long being fast and being like productive mm-hmm. and being able to make a really good living off of being productive that putting a portfolio together is like terrifying because I'm like, what do I actually like enough to put on here? Right. And that's crushing, you mm-hmm. know? So I need to kind of pivot and start realizing that everything I do, I need to picture it on the website and I want my website to be beautiful and just like really get overwhelmed with what I make. And I mean, there's times where it's, I've been so focused on production, which has done me well for my twenties, but now in my thirties, I'm like, all right, define who you actually are. Right. You know, you know how to work now, who actually are you? And that's, that's part of the going back to doing stuff for cheap or free. I mean, that's part of, the reason why I do that stuff as well, because I'll, I'll work on a really high budget job that I don't even like what it ended up being, or, or I knew it was going to be something that I wasn't going to really want to put on the portfolio. The most money I've ever been paid for anything was NDA and I can't talk about it and I can't put it on the website and it never even saw the light of day. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, of course I'm going to take a small budget or a free logo. If it's something that I feel like I can really kill and put on the site in place of those jobs that, 
paid me really well, but I didn't really like what it came up with, or I couldn't, you know, I didn't even have the, I didn't have permission to do it, to put it up. So it it takes the place of that stuff. I think so many designers, it's, they're going so long just trying to make a living. And once you, I don't know if you realize the day that you're making a good living, the day that you feel secure, but I think it's hard for the day that you feel secure to be able to say, oh, now that I feel secure, now I can focus, now I can feed myself with like satisfaction of the projects as opposed to the bills being paid. And I think that's the, th- the hard thing, you know, for, you know, doing talks for like young graphic designers or something. It's like the majority of the people listening to design talks are rolling their eyes because they can't make, they can't make a living being freelance or whatever right. they're doing. So when it gets to the point when you are making money, you still have those hustle tendencies of and course, the hustle yeah. tendencies it kind of, you take on some crappy work and yeah. you create some crappy work, but that crappy work that you made paid the bills and that gives you satisfaction on one hand, you know? So I'm entering the time where like, all right, let's just be happy with what I make yeah. and define who I actually am, you know? And that's, that's something I've always envied in you guys is that, well, I don't know. I mean, you guys show what you show, you know what I mean? And I don't know about that NDA project. I don't know about the other mm-hmm. stuff, but you definitely have amassed this portfolio of, stuff that I really think you guys are really, really stoked on. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you guys print, you know, I'm looking at some of your work and stuff and there's so much of your guys' work that is really cool to just look back and be like, I did a good job on that. And that's huge. I mean, there's there's more stuff that I dislike than the stuff that I like when I look back. Yeah. I think like most people and, you know, what we show on our on the portfolio when we're going through the IC stuff, when we're doing a new site, you know, I'll, something that Don did, I'll be like, you got to put that up. And he's like, oh, it's no way. It's terrible. I'm like, dude, no, it isn't. And he'll do the same thing with me. And I think just that's just an inherent thing. Just not being satisfied, I think, is what helps push us. And there are very few things that I would want to kind of be seen as my legacy in terms of design when I leave. And I feel like most of those things probably I haven't done yet. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there's a few things when I look back and I go, man, I, I really, I still like that after 10 years or whatever. Cause a lot of things I'll like when I do it. And then a few years go by and I'm like, you know, I you was still, I was still learning. It yeah. was very clear. I was still learning how to do a B or C. A few things have stood the test of time for me. And that's great to have a few under my belt, but I still feel like the bulk of what I've done is still just kind of like a, like stairs to stair stepping my way to, what I wanted, what I want to be doing, um, and is not quite there yet. And that's what keeps me going. That's why I like working every day. That's why I like, honestly, like getting up and working long days because I still, I'm still thirsty for it. I'm still yeah. hungry to like to create something that's better than what I've done, anything I've done before. And there's a lot of stuff in between that's not allowing me to do stuff that's great. You know, there's a lot of just production stuff, there's a lot of n- non sexy work stuff that, yeah. that I'm doing. But there's always that next day where you're going to get the opportunity to do something really cool. Um, and that's like what I wake up for is, you know, I want, I want to be able to do something better. Um, and so that, that's what keeps me going. Going back to like the talking about the kind of the tendency that we were, you were talking about to hustle, I think there's also a lot of those people in the audience when you're talking, something they don't realize is there's not only the tendency to do that, but there's the reality that a lot of the people that they think have reached a point um, that they've probably kind of 
made up in their head, like just how it works when you get to a certain level that there's the phones just doesn't stop ringing. Yeah. And that's just not the case. I mean, the, the best designers out there, the people who you look up to, the people who you think are, are, are just up to their neck and work will go through dry periods where they're yeah. like, Oh man, this is, these are the throes of working for yourself. Yep. And I, here I am, I have a family and I'm like the sole provider in some cases. And you know, I, I don't know what to do. And mm-hmm. that happens to everyone. You know, I, I would be very surprised if, you know, I think there's probably some top tier like fine artists and things like that, that just like, you know, don't really need to worry about things. Yeah. But, and even in the best success, when the best success happens for me, even the, the terror is um, the sustainability of that success. Right, of course. That like, oh, wow, things are good. And I'm terrified if, are they ever going to, are they still going to be this good? Like, well, it's yeah, good I'm, to be aware of that. Right. And so that it's like, what do you want? Do you want no work or do you, you know what I mean? Or have plenty of work, but do you be terrified? You know, it's just, you, you can't just have really to be, win. Yeah. You have to be careful about expecting when the, when the iron's hot and you've got like five jobs that came in all in the last week and they're, um, you know, they're all paying you deposits right up front and you've got your money and you've got plenty of time to work on them. And the, you know, over the course of the last month, you've, the phone's been ringing like four times, you know, proverbial phones been ringing. Emails have been coming in. The red dot uh, has been showing up. Yeah. Yeah. The, the jobs have been coming in and they've been approved and you're working when that iron's hot and the budgets are good. Uh, it's easy to, to, to get used to that for that time period and to kind of start functioning under, the parameters that life is just going to continue to be like that. Yeah. And it never, ever does. Like, even if it does for a year or two, I would say 90% of people are going to go through a dry spell where they're going to wish that they had saved money or, uh, you know, wished that they had been smarter about the, the, the way that they saw this thing rolling out. Cause that's what happens. Everything's relative, right? So you could be, you could be a designer that was, you know, um, killing it living by yourself unmarried without kids living in a little apartment and it's like yeah you've got money to spend on whatever you want you can drive a you know a tesla if you want or you do it gradually over a few years you end up going from one house to the next house your mortgage increases by this amount of money you get a little nicer car you get used to things that are that are different or whatever i mean not this this is not the point of any of it but that's part of life yeah and it's part of growing up it's not it's not I mean, it's about money, but it's also, you know, I, we would assume that growing up and money there, there's a little bit of it there. Where sure. It's there's like, a responsibility. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, we have one car and now, now we're going to have to get another car, you know? So then now you're saying that two cars is, you know, it's not enough for you now or something like that. It's right. always, it's always, well, it, I mean, they're all first world problems. It's ridiculous yes. to even like, yeah. I mean, I feel like an idiot even talking about this, some of this stuff, but yeah, it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you get married, you have kids, there are needs, there are responsibilities, there are things that upkeep, you know, even if you're not spending money like crazy on, on things you don't need, there's upkeep of life. There's bills. I mean, we all have internet, we all have cell phones. Most um, everyone listening to this has an iPhone. I mean, most people have cable TV or at least Netflix or whatever heap of bills, you know, happening every day. And so that just happens. And so even if you're making really good money, it's all relative to, to the way that you've grown accustomed to living too. I mean, that's just something to remember when, when these, you know, when people think about that kind of stuff is it's not always what you conceive in your mind that these people are just, you know, swimming in money and able to pay for whatever they want and, you know, have Whatever, because it's it's all it all depends. One of the monologue episodes that I've done before this, I think it was episode three. I talked about burnout, and I talked about that 
not only do we need to stay busy, we need to make X amount of dollars or whatever, but we have this stupid need to be creatively fulfilled. And that complicates everything so much more. Whereas like my dad just worked his butt off. He wasn't passionate about like loading freight onto airplanes, but that's what he did all day, every Mm -hmm. day. So what his passion was putting food on his kid's table, you know what I mean? So it's like, we have that need to, support our families, um, support where we live to live whatever life we envision for ourselves. But on top of that, we have to be creatively fulfilled. Mm-hmm. We have to like love what we make every yeah, day because we're and spoiled brats. We're spoiled brats. Yeah. My dad didn't care how the freight went in the right. plane and it didn't define him. Right. Um, it just, he got the job done from nine to five or whatever it was. He got the job done. So that's what's funny about this day and age is that not only do we get to have this amazing job, which wouldn't exist without the internet, mm-hmm. wouldn't, you know, wouldn't exist obviously without computers. Um, it's a job that we didn't have the tools for 30 years ago. There's this push to be creatively fulfilled. So I go back and forth between that, but I think I keep coming back to if I could get it, if I could get it all, I got to try to get it all. And I, in the whole time, I know that all isn't worth it and all isn't the answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just sort of this thing of like, I want to be happy. I want to like what I make. I want to make enough money to live. But deep down, I would really like to throw it all away and just like be simple, you know? So it's just yeah, this I funny have, cycle we get ourselves into. Yeah, totally. I think it's the same on both sides. I always have this, what I call like blue collar fantasies every once in a while. Yeah. The people that can just kind of like leave the job at their job and just go home and like, not be bothered by it you know like uh i used to my blue collar fantasies are like um midnight office cleaning um (laughs) because i like just being alone and you don't go home with that wearing headphones oh yeah yeah there's there's, i could have mopped that floor way better that one spot i could have got that spot yeah Yeah, you just do it if you who can you don't mess that up you know that was one of them for sure um my landscaper, dad, man, for me, landscape, it's landscaper. Yeah. When I see the guys out mowing the lawn and stuff and that's like, too much work for me, <laughs> but they're like burning calories. Oh, totally. I don't burn calories yeah. like with my mouse, you no. know? So like I see him burning calories and you know, we know what it's like to have a job where you sit down all day. It's just mm-hmm. not good for you. Oh yeah. Um, but I think about that one all the time and mm-hmm. like fresh air, yep. you know, I've yep. heard of that stuff. You like, guys have a lot here. Yeah. Here. I, uh, I, another one is working on a boat except <laughs> I wouldn't want to be out on the boat when it's like dredging through the sea and it's dangerous and stuff. I would just want like when they dock it. Yeah. I would just want to like maybe clean it when they're docked, when they're docked. Yeah. And that would be my job. Know how to tie awesome thing. knots with huge <laughs> right. ropes. Yeah. Right. Totally. You could look totally awesome. Yeah. Throw me the rope. And then you're like friends with the guys because you're catching the rope. Yeah. But you're yep. not like, you know, you're not as, you know, your balls aren't as big. Yeah. Yeah. At yeah. all. But you, for a moment there, you feel like you're on the same page right. with these right. people. That's, but, that's my idea of a blue collar. I've realized this thing about the blue collar fantasy though. And I was just thinking about this the other day. You realize there's this time every day. There's this horn that goes off like on the Flintstones that says, "Earn now pay attention to everything else that matters in your life now. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with design work and stuff like this, we just have to, we feel like it's important to keep working. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I can get that project done. Yeah. But your wife and your kids upstairs, or you have this big group of friends that haven't seen you in years. Um, but everyone else has the time now go hang out with your friends. Right now go have a social life. Now go be a good husband, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I've realized that that's like, I've always chosen just keep working, just keep my head down and keep hustling. 
And that's one of the other things here. So it's like, it's sort of this really weird combination to just drive you nuts and to just like make mountains out of molehills all the time. Mm -hmm. As designers, we're kind of supposed to get everything perfect and it bleeds into regular life. Of course. Yeah. You can't, you can't help but be concepting things for the next day or especially like if you have a client meeting or something like that. And now the stuff I'm doing now, I deal a lot more with that kind of thing where I'm, I am kind of having to sell the ideas and, um, there's more of that definitely than I've ever done. And I find myself having to mentally prepare for that kind of thing. Cause that's very few artistic people's forte is like getting in front of people and talking. Right. I'm no exception to that. Like I, I need to start thinking about it now so that when I'm put on the spot, I don't freak out. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's just something that like, and if it's not that it's something else, it's like, you know, if you don't have much work coming in, it's like, how can I, how can I get the word out that I need work without sounding desperate and jeopardizing my budgets and things like that. Or if there's a ton of work, you're thinking, okay, which one takes precedence? Like this one is due soonest, but this one's going to be the hardest to do. And so there's always something happening. Um, And that's just, it's a way that you need to just get used to, I guess at a certain point, you just kind of get used to that kind of mindset where your mind is just juggling these things and try not to suck at everything else in life. Yes. <laughs> Cause you can only be good at like three things, yeah. you know, you can choose like fatherhood, husband and, and designer or something, you know? So now that I'm a father, maybe I'm going to start sucking at music. Cause that's number four. Yes. Like, I don't know, so, you know, yes, something's so, got to yes. give. <laughs> The other thing about that is I've realized that your attention is a commodity. So, you know, it may appear in your life that you have time, mm-hmm. maybe, but what, you know, and a lot of time maybe our spouses don't realize this or our friends don't realize this, but like, listen, I may appear that I have time because I'm sitting down here watching Netflix or watching a TV show, but I don't have the attention. So what's on my mind can't fit real life into <laughs> this because it's like, okay, I stopped designing at six o'clock today. But I'm thinking about this thing the rest of the night. And as soon as I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about that. So that's the hard thing. And going back to your blue collar fantasy, that's the hard thing is to like, he's not bringing that work home with us. Yeah, of course. You know, I don't know how to punch the time clock on attention because attention on one hand, it makes me a good designer to care about all these little things but it makes me a terrible friend. Right. And I'm lucky enough to have a wife that totally understands me. Um, we don't have kids yet. Yeah. So when we have kids, there's going to be the thing like this kid is more important than it's anything. It's definitely a game right changer. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Hey, let me give you this thing that like is all of a sudden, and it, you don't have to be told that it's more important. It just is right. Like in your head, it's already more important. So it's like, yeah, here, let me hand you this thing. That's just going to take precedence over everything. So you're going to have to refile your yeah. life and your priorities. Yeah, it's insane. So how have you noticed that you've changed? You're you're a new father. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, seven, not, she's not even a year yet? No, seven and a half months. Yeah. Seven and a half months. So what do you think's changed in the past seven and a half months? Um, I would say more than anything. Like I used to, people used to say, or they still do. I mean, it hasn't been that long. You know, how do you juggle doing, you know, I'm in three bands. Yeah. And I designed for belief. I designed for Invisible Creature, you know, um, and I still have time to like watch TV and stuff. <laughs> um, you know, how do you juggle all that stuff? And I'm just, you know, it's something I've got used to. I went from being single 
working crazy hours every day just to learn how to do this stuff to being married working way too much and 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 going through the difficulties of marriage really early on because both of us were working too much to and I, all through that I was carrying both music and design switching between the two hats and it's just something you learn to get better at and you yeah. learn to be more effective at and you learn to 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 figure out when to do certain things, when to turn them off. And when I'm, when I'm in like writing a demon hunter record, I really need to do it in a cluster. I can't like write two songs in February and then not write anything else and record those and then not write anything else in, until July. Like yeah. it just doesn't happen. When I sit, when I'm ready to write a record, I give myself like two months. And how tops. do you do that? Is that you go to a specific studio or how I do you do it? I a garage band. I just, I sit in here uh-huh. on that little, the same thing we have set up for the, the you little know, interface interface thing here. I plug a guitar in and I'll just start. Basically the first catalyst is me doing little memos on my phone, mm-hmm. like little, um, just in the recording app. I just record like little guitar riffs or do you do uh, vocal parts. Guitar like riffs with your mouth? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So I've I, always felt bad about sending that to my guitar player guys, and I never did that. But I really just want to be like, it's going to go like. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'm not. I've been doing this so long. Like the the pride of doing this is uh, of showing this is not. <laughs> but I have, as you can see right here, and yeah. attest to hundreds. Wow. So I'm looking at Ryan's voice memos uh, app on his phone and it's just, he's still scrolling. Okay. So hundreds, it looks like. I'm just going to pick one and this could be a really embarrassing one, but I'm just going to do it. Um, And this is essentially what I do. (laughs) That's great. So that's the kind of stuff I do for riffs. If there's vocal parts, like vocal melodies, I'm kind of giving away some like probably that's a sketch. New, new DH stuff. That's your sketchbook. <laughs> sketch, right there. Yeah. So this is like um like the vocal <laughs> melody for a part of a song. When the loneliness sends, will the heartache begin? I never know. So that's how I do vocals. It sounds like, great. <clears throat> so, it sounds better than mine. Mine have car noises, and I'm just oh yeah. In the car. Those are those are prime ones. But there's car noise ones. There's airplane noise ones. There's autumn and the baby are asleep. I have to be super quiet. So I'm going to go into the corner of the kitchen across across the house and go. <laughs> like there's all kinds of memos on there. So those are my catalysts, and then I'll basically find whatever time I can get before the baby. It was. I would go to Tooth and Nail like three hours early in the morning. I would get there at like six mm-hmm. and I would sit at my desk and record demos until nine, until the day started. Me and Don did that for the triptych for Storm the Gates of Hell. We recorded demos literally between the hours of like six and 9 a.m. Wow. And um, the last record I was working from home um, and I was working for myself. So that record I was able to put way more effort into in terms of the writing because I wasn't sharing as much time with something else. I could kind of dictate that schedule. This upcoming record I'm finding is really hard to find time for. So mm-hmm. we're hoping to record sometime next year. I just need to really core out some time to do so. So that's what you asked. Kind of we diverted there. What did I notice is the biggest, you know, about being a new father is that wrapping my head around juggling the amount of things that I used to do. Yeah. Is getting really difficult. I've even tried little things that would be really easy before. 
like uh, we recorded some knives stuff mm-hmm. in this room when Randy was up here last. And I was kind of also kind of helping with the baby at the same time. And she was younger. She was probably like three months. And it was the time that would have been so productive, like before the baby was here, was it was just chaos. Because, yeah. you know, I'm not going to leave her with Autumn the whole whole time. Like, I'm, I want to be there. I want to be present. I want to help, especially with a new baby. And um, I found myself having to do that at the same time. So we were like, oh, we can get this many songs done. And we got like maybe half yeah. the amount done. So things like that, I'm, I'm realizing I'm going to need to either be a lot more realistic with my time or really creative yeah. with the way I core out. Because I can do one thing at a time. I don't like to design when I'm, when I'm recording or when I'm on the road or anything like that. When, when the music hat is on, I don't like to do much of the other thing. I've had to do it on certain occasions, but even then it's like getting very little of my attention and then yeah. vice versa. When I'm designing, when I'm really, when the, the iron's really hot there or when it's just really busy, all I can really do is those little things on my phone. I yeah. don't really dive into like, I don't open up GarageBand and start going at it, you know? So I understand. I mean, not to that extent. I mean, obviously we've, we have a lot of similarities where I was in a band for a long time and I was designing, but for me, design took over and I didn't have the passion for the band mm-hmm. that obviously you have for Demon Hunter. Now, however, if I give myself the, if I won the lottery scenario, if right. I won a hundred million dollars, the first thing everyone. I would do is um, get in a studio with Dead Poetic and record mm-hmm. a fourth that's record. That's funny. That's exactly what I tell everyone when they, most of the people that listen to this probably know me more as a designer. And then there's mm-hmm. a whole other side of people that know me more as Demon Hunter guy. And there are people on both sides of that coin that don't even know about the other thing. Yeah. So there's there's been the band that's had a certain amount of success and the design work that's had a certain amount of success. The success looks totally different. It has different fanfare. It has a completely different look. But um, very few people know both of those things about me. But the people that know the you know that it's kind of I could choose either one and probably do okay with either one. Yeah. Like one didn't totally fail, and it was obvious that I needed to become a designer. It's kind of one of those things that like I continually had to make the decision of which one I wanted to do, or which one would take precedence. And it's obviously you know, the responsible thing is to do the stable one. You know, the one that allows you to be. An actual husband. <laughs> but, but I think you've done a good job where if people didn't actually look at the tour dates mm-hmm. and really pay attention to it, it yeah. they wouldn't realize that one is above that the other. That was the hope. And that's we've been strategic about the way that we do that. We do music videos when things are really sparse yep. in that world. So, we so try that you and can fill, still exist. Yeah, we still exist. Every couple months, it's like, oh, here's this new vinyl reissue of a record. Or here's this new bunch of merch or here's um you know we're doing a one-off flyout date or whatever things that are easy enough for us to to kind of put together when when we're fairly inactive we're doing that on purpose you know mm-hmm. we're not just like spacing things out just to do it it's like we you know we realize we need to be present enough so that people don't think that we broke up but also we can kind of do that almost at our leisure yeah and um, you can be selective enough to make it worthwhile right and that's, you know, so we go back to oh three and oh four when my band was, you know, we actually toured together in mm-hmm. 2004. But at that time, it was like every tour, almost every show, it, it didn't matter. You just keep playing. But now, knowing what I know now, it would be like, what is the point of playing Absolutely. this place in the middle of nowhere tonight? Does right. this matter tonight? And what's the point of touring the States three times in a year? Right. When, I mean, people are going to you know, a certain set of people are going to go see you in Orlando when you come through. 
And then if you come through two months later, I mean, can you really expect all those people? Right. To, I mean, how long can you do it? 10 years? Can, for 10 years, can you play Orlando three times a year right. and expect the same people, or the same amount of people or whatever? No. The answer is no, unless yeah. you're Metallica or someone that has, you know, just that, that's their thing. There's other ways to keep them fed. And going back to being designers and to be able to build a brand around a band, we know that there's all these, all this other content in air quotes, all this other content that you can provide mm-hmm. your fan base with to keep that lifeline going right. and to keep that thing, you know, keep that ball in the air or whatever right. you want to, whatever metaphor you want to use. But so that's, what's fun for me being like, I feel like I could just make a band on design alone, make oh, some right. music, you know? So like I'm doing this project called at night we strike. And the first song, I think we first started talking in 2011, we put out a song in March of 2012 the next song is going to come out in 2015 or, Uh you know, it's going to take forever. It just is. Well, that's like this lo and behold thing that I do with Jason Martin, which just came out. Yeah. I believe there are songs on that record from 2008. Wow. And there are definitely songs on that record. Even if they're not the versions that we recorded in 2008, we definitely wrote and recorded a different version of some people and have mercy and other songs like that is that project has been literally happening for like seven years. And it's just been this, Hey, I've got three songs. Yep. He sends them to me. I write the lyrics. I'm like, hey, six months later, I got some time. I'll fly down to LA. And then we just kind of sat on these songs until there was something to do with them. And throughout that seven years, the band kind of, the sound started changing a little bit. So the song started sounding maybe a little bit like different bands. And so we kind of had to focus on the style a little bit. So it just kind of t- took different changes. But yeah, that's that, that totally happens. us and our honest art so it's sort of like there's no reason to make any like apologies for it right and i actually want to make sure that that doesn't happen with my projects like don't apologize if it takes three years between yeah, yeah totally soundcloud songs or something yeah. then who cares and knives i mean uh, i've always wanted to do that kind of music and that was kind of like a perfect scenario between me and randy and like the time that we had to do it and things um but i mean that's a perfect example of a band that for me, it's, it's awesome just because it's two people. Yeah. I mean, I... And Randy's I, just adorable. Randy's, yeah, he's this, the easiest Randy. dude ever. Like, we see eye to eye on on everything that's in regard to the music and the artwork and the vision and everything. But he doesn't... He, he trusts me fully. So, I, it's literally like I'm designing for, like, if I had a solo record. And I get yeah. to design everything for it just the way I want. It's the most hands-off thing ever. And Demon Hunter's the same way. But still, Demon Hunter, there's there's more parameters because the fans have come to expect something and there's, there's kind of a, it's, it's its own thing. You can feel the audience looking at it as you make it. Right. It's yeah. They, and that's fine. You know, that's, that's, that's fine for that. Like I, I don't feel boxed in by that, but it is different to be able to come up with something entirely new and fresh and be like, I can design anything for this. Mm -hmm. 
and I can set a whole new set of rules and things that I, you know, everything knives is black and white. Every single thing, the music video, the photos, the artwork. And I'm going to try and keep it that way as long as I can. That's just kind of an unspoken rule. And it's just kind of cool to give yourself like those kind of, you just create those kind of parameters for yourself. so volatile and it's so there's the peaks and valleys are so vast because you can you can play a tour where most of the shows are sold out or it's just great the whole way there and you're like i can't believe we're selling i mean i thought we were washed up i can't believe we're still selling this many tickets every show and then the last two shows of the tour are total bummers and no one shows up and you leave that tour with like this terrible taste in your mouth Mm -hmm. even though most of it was sold out yeah like the last two shows that you do kind of set that the set the stage for like how you end the tour. And if you end it on a bummer note, it's like, there's little things like that about being in a band that are just draining. Yeah. And I, I find tour, I have a love hate thing with, with tour and which makes it a lot easier for me to make the decision not to do it all the time. But I've, I've always found tour to be really physically draining for me. And it's not just the stage. It's being on the stage that makes me tired the next day, but there's something about that type of sedentary like sitting on in a van or in a bus or whatever and trying to kind of like find things to do i'm just naturally i i'm like a like a guy that's like okay go to this then do this and if i'm sometimes i don't want to just do nothing because i feel like there's so much stuff i want to do in my life <laughs> like I, before I die, I want to I want to start this company and I want to make this record and I want to start this kind of band and I want to do all these kind of things. When I'm given like that amount of time on the road, and like I said, I don't like to work on the from a laptop on the road. I just I can't do it. You do nothing for 23 hours a day. Yeah, you do zero for 23 hours a day, and you're it's just such ineffective living. It's like there's you're not you're not doing anything, and there's so many things I want to do. It's what I find is it's not only like can be a bummer and I'm not saying I, I, I dislike to, or I'm saying this is the negative aspect of it for me. It's not only a bummer, but something about it physically drains me. I've had tours where I've just felt like, like I had mono the whole time or something. Yeah. And it wasn't that it was just there. It just took it out of me. I don't know what get it was. A routine. Yeah. And I like, you know, I, I have a routine with food. Like I eat the same exact breakfast yeah. all day and it makes my body do the same right. things. The but when you're not able good. to like get up right. and take a shower and like get your coffee and get in the car and like go to the same place and have, you have the kind of ritual thing. 
I mean, I'm, and I realize some people probably get used to it. They do it so much that that becomes their ritual, yeah. you know, the, the, t- the touring thing, but it's just for me, but I you're not going to find very many healthy people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it would be very impressive right. to find that one guy in a band. And we've seen a few of them sometimes where it's like, you ran this morning. Oh yeah. You yeah, have yeah. running shoes with you on tour and you ran. So this that's morning? Patrick and in, in, in demon hunter, like he <laughs> brings weights and he actually uses them every yeah. time, you know, every time we stop. This is a more recent thing that he's done, but it's still been going on for like at least five years where he'll bring weights or whatever and he'll actually use them. He'll break a sweat and he'll be like really doing it. And, you know, for fun, the other guys will jump in and like try and lift weights for a while or whatever. And I'll be like, oh, that felt awesome. I should do this every day. And then I wake up the next day and I can't move my arms because like I did it one day a year. Um, That happens all the time. There is those few guys that are really... The first, when he first got into working out, he would find a gym every place that we stopped. Even if he had to walk to it or whatever, he would find a gym. And I've told myself before tours, like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to work out on this tour. I'm going to run on this tour, whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, no matter how much I tell myself I can, I'm going to do that. I never, never yeah. follow through with it. Yeah. It's so much easier to not. When you're at home, you, those indicators are the same thing. I said, you know, like I said, I have my morning routine. I sit on my porch. There's these things I will do the exact same way every day. And there's a ton of comfort in that for me. And yep. I, I mean, that's kind of getting old and curmudgeonly and I don't really love that. But th- the reality of it is that, you know, I really love that routine. It can be awesome though. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people like look down on it. You know, I, I think that, you know, the, that, that mentality that you're supposed to have about like the man kind of ruling your life or, or 401k or whatever, like yeah. whatever that comes with the, like the punk rock mentality of the way to look at things like, man, I'm just not cut out for that lifestyle sure i mean i get that but i feel like that's almost this routine kind of punk rock way to 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 feel yeah and i feel like there are so many of those dudes and i know that there are so many of those dudes because now i work with them yeah they work at lego they work at target they work at all these places and they're enjoying their jobs and they're enjoying their salaries and their 401ks and a lot of them just kind of grew up because they that became just like this rhetoric that they learned through punk rock that wasn't necessarily like something they believed in but there's an awesome like there's something great about that routine about about like just getting up and having not a normal life because we do very like we're very privileged to be able to do jobs that we love but it's definitely not to be knocked like i i would take it if if i would say that the lottery situation when i say i would do music all the time i wouldn't tour all the time yeah same with me i'm talking about recording right Right. i never want to play another show for the rest of my (laughs) life ever see i don't mind an occasional fly out date because it's like i feel and this is the honest truth the reason why demon hunter started playing shows in the first place was because i felt like if we didn't legitimize the band by playing the music live then it wasn't a real thing yeah i understand if if you can like put the music to record that's one thing that's like half of being in a band but if you can't at least represent it in some fashion live i feel like it's just not it's not a hundred percent yet yeah and so that's the really the only reason we started playing live at all is because like I have, I've always had this kind of haunting thing. That's been like the band has to be a legitimate band. Yeah. It has to, you have to play at least sometimes. And you know, there've been years where we played as much as like 70 shows this year. We played one show. This is the, this is the lightest year of shows that demon hunters ever had. And part of it's because four of us had kids since yeah. the last record <laughs> and one of them's twins. So we have five kids after, instantly after having zero in the band, there's five in a year Yeah, in two years. So that's pretty crazy. Um, that's part of it, but yeah. on your website, you should really just have all those babies. Yeah, exactly. Like, Here's why. why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just put out a video a couple of weeks ago. So, so yeah, when I, when I say the lottery thing, it is, you know, I, I wouldn't mind playing a few flyout dates, really short tours, maybe four days in a, in a row or something like that. But what I mean is 
the time to really write music. And, yeah. and I've, I've actually gone through periods in the last few years where I've really considered, even outside of just doing my bands and doing design, I've really considered just songwriting yeah. for other people. Yeah. Because that's something I've always wanted to do. It's been more about, I don't have the time to do it. When, I, when I'm given the time to write a song, it has to be for me because I like, I need to do another record, yeah. you know, like I have people depending on it. Or I just, I'm like, in the, in the case of Knives, it was like, I just really want to do this. It's yeah. something that, you know. I'm, but you don't want to hold yourself back if the song that you're writing is great, but it doesn't fit something. And there's been tons of those. Yeah. And a lot of them I haven't even put down because I'm just, I just don't have the time. And I knew that if I made the time to do that, there was a, there was a time about a year and a half ago when I had almost entirely made up my mind about moving to Nashville, doing design kind of on the back burner, but really investing my time in just songwriting. Yeah. And I mean, pop songwriting. Yep. Um, and that, I mean, that's where I get most of my inspiration for DH stuff. Anyway, I'd make it sound like a metal record, but I don't listen to metal. Yeah. A lot of those melodies are interchangeable. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was listening to your old, the, well, not the old, the podcast that you did with Mark and, you know, he plays a lot of the knives mm-hmm. stuff in there and a lot of the demon hunter stuff, those melodies, you know, if you have, if sure, you yeah. know the melody, then it applies to any context. Yeah. And it's amazing when that melody is in like metal core stuff, right. you know, like really metal stuff. And in that it's an unexpected thing. And I think that's one of the big demon hunter appeals. Is totally. that, that great melody underneath something so heavy. Yeah. I think it's, it's what sets us apart. And I know a lot of bands are doing it these days, but I've always, I've always felt like, and I'm not trying to like elevate us over other bands, but I've always felt like even the bands who are really heavy and then they have melody, I feel like it's usually pretty, the melodies are pretty juvenile and yep. it's kind of just like, oh, it's a singing part. Just you to have just a singing learned part. last week what a melody was yeah, and yeah. now you tried to do that with your hardcore Totally. Band. And granted, like I, you know, I'll come up with, with things like really kind of basic melodies and someone like Aaron Sprinkle kind of push me to do something crazier. And like, he's like, I've always said, he's always been like the sixth member of the band in that way. But yeah, when I'm listening to stuff throughout the year, I mean, there's maybe two metal records that come out a year that I'm even giving my attention to. Cause I'm, right. it's just, I've heard everything. I'm kind of an old man in that way. It's just everything that comes out these days sounds the same to me. And it's something I'm not interested in. Yeah. But when a band like Gojira, Carvella talk or some, some of those kind of bands come out that are really doing something unique and cool and doing it well, I'll take notice, but most of the time I'm listening to electronic music. Yeah. I'm listening to, I mean, pretty much my whole top 10 this year is going to be like female fronted electronic bands. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot of that, a lot of that kind of inspiration from non-metal stuff. And I'm having to, when I'm writing for Demon Hunter, I'm having to put it kind of through that metal blender, but I would always, I would really sometimes fantasize about what if I could just write a pop song? What if I could just write a bunch of pop songs. I've written country songs that are like about country stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like not a country guy, but I feel like I know enough about it. Dude, I when could... I mow my lawn there, I've got so <laughs> many great country songs. Oh, yeah. when I, mow my lawn. I love it. And I just, to me, that's almost like a design challenge. It's like wrapping your head around something that might not be like in your immediate sphere in your immediate world and being like, I'm going to, I'm going to kill this. I'm going to make this great. Even though, you know, I didn't grow up listening to this kind of music or whatever. I feel that's, it's like a similar challenge to me to be able to like write a country song or or like write a hip hop beat or something like that. Well, I think what's consistent with you is it's fun to watch what Ryan Clark applies his creativity to. So whether that's a layout, whether that's a logo, whether that's your own personal project, whether that's demon hunter and everything surrounded by it, 
that whole process or the attention to detail or whatever, those are constants. Mm -hmm. Now you can put graphic design there. You can put a metal band there and then you can put pop songs. You can put country songs, all that stuff. But I think what's exciting for you is scratching your chin and being like, no, I could totally do that. Also, Mm -hmm. I could totally knock that out of the park also because it's the same basic principles. I've been making all this other stuff awesome with, and I know I can just apply it to that. So that first pop song that you write, the polished finished product Mm -hmm. pop song, and you hear it, you're sitting there at the control board, hearing it play back. You're just going to be sitting there like, I can do hundreds more of these. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know if that day will ever come. Like I said, I can barely even wrap my head around the things that I right. that I have been doing for the last ten years. Well, it's fun to think if you can get some clones. You yeah, know, I've always if said you, that. If we're talking yeah. about lottery and we're talking about clones, talk, lottery and clones all day. Yeah, I, yeah. I always go back to the music and I talk about. Cl- I wish I could clone myself so yeah. bad. And if you could, then you know, like th- you have to think about the clones and the lottery in order to keep pushing because right. you need to ask yourself what's next yeah. for Ryan Clark, yeah. you know, and, and maybe someday I'll be, you know, I'll be able to do that. But there was, there was a, a real honest few months where that was what I was going to do. Yeah. And it was, and there's been a couple of like pivotal moments in my life where I had to make a decision to do this or that. And I'm glad that I, that I made the decision to stay here and, and do what I'm doing. The other one was when I moved to Seattle, uh, I didn't, move here for any reason. I moved here cause my brother was moving here and getting a job. And, uh, I, like I said, I worked at a used clothing store that I hated. I hated retail so much. Mm-hmm. That's all I did before I, before I was doing design and it was the worst. I'm the worst person at retail, but I just moved up here just to do something different. And it completely changed the, the course of my life. Yeah. Um, it was just, you know, and it's just a decision. There was a time when, when I made that decision where I was, you know, I always have like an A and a B and my B at that time was moved to Southern California. I was in Northern California at the time, moved to Southern California and tried to get an apprenticeship at a tattoo shop. Yeah. So that, I mean, how crazy different would my life look right, right now if I would have done that? Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I think we did it, man. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> we got through a lot here. <laughs> we did, yeah. And um, yeah, man, it's neat hearing the whole process. Like for just to get corny, like you continue to be a huge inspiration for me. And it's, it's fun to, know that the the heroes are attainable dudes that I can have conversations <laughs> with and not like some people in outer space. So it's it's exciting to watch your career evolve and you know your career and its evolution constantly pushes me to be better. And I think, you know, a lot of the people listen to this podcast, you know, Invisible Creature, Tooth and Nail Art Department, everything that you guys create is really, really a huge motivator and a huge thing pushing the creative movement of this age group, this generation, whatever you want to call it. But I feel like you guys are the ones shoving everybody along. So I'm grateful, grateful to you you. for that. So, well, thanks for talking, man. (laughs) Yeah. Appreciate it. The graphic sound was created by me, Brandon Reich. You can find me at Brandon Reich on all social media and on brandonreich.com. This episode was produced by myself and Brian Skeel of chrisgrammastering.com. Theme music by the hands of stone. Title intro song remix by my good friend Jesse Kale at Jesse Kale on Twitter. 
We had a ton of music throughout this episode and it all came from Ryan Clark, beginning with one of my all-time favorites, New York City is Overrated by Training for Utopia. Also, Perseverance from the film 45 Days, a documentary about Ryan's biggest band, Demon Hunter. From his project Knives, that's N-Y-V-E-S, the songs Just Give Up, Smoking Gun, Something Divine, and Light. And from his other side project, lo and behold, the songs Blood Red, Bring Me Home, Have Mercy, and this outro song, The End of the Road. If you're not already fully aware of Ryan and his work, do yourself a favor and check out InvisibleCreature.com. I can only imagine your amazement if you're just now learning about the work that Ryan and his brother Don create. Also, you can find Ryan on Instagram and Twitter under the name at RyanClarkDH. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do me a huge favor and leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show and it encourages me to keep this whole thing going. Right now, you can get three months of Skillshare for 99 cents. Use this specific shortened URL, skl.sh slash You can find more info on this podcast at thegraphicsound.com and join the conversation by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thegraphicsound. Thank you for listening and listening to me. Don't let them kill your soul. There's a law.